Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I am excited that you guys are here. We got another awesome episode for you today, and uh, we're going to get right into it. So if you are joining us for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Excited to have you here. We've got some really great info for you guys today. And if you are joining, uh, if you're a returning listener and coming back, and if you're coming back time and time again, you guys are just the bomb. You guys are wonderful. You're awesome. I can't believe I just said you're the bomb, but that's okay. I really, truly, gratefully appreciate that you guys come back week after week and you listen to what's going on and you tune in and, and it's just awesome to have you guys here. So I'm here to help share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business and that means that you're managing a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and find that common level ground. Most importantly today we're going to be talking about employment law changes that are happening across the nation and we'll share with you later in the show where you can get access to some of these. Also uh, today's main topic I've got a very special guest her name is Lisa Perez and she is a, she's a, an HR professional and you know what we just decided to kind of share with each other and with you guys our backgrounds and, and really what our path was and really what we're going to be talking about is really how we got to where we are today and also the importance of being in that state of action in that motion. She's a really awesome lady. I enjoyed Absolutely enjoyed talking to her, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I'm going to share with you some upcoming events and some announcements, and then lastly, I'm going to share with you how you can get best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Um, So folks, before we go on, the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only, and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respects to any particular issues that you're having. Now, if you don't have an employment attorney, go ahead and reach out to me, and I might be able to refer one to you through our friends over at Jackson Lewis. Okay, so employment law changes and headlines that are hitting the nation. So first off, uh, there's an article out that the Department of Labor has clarified the application of the FFCRA leave to various return to school models. So please click that on. if you, I'm sure you've got people who are dealing with the new school year, and that should give you some, some pretty good help. Also, the new DOL guidelines expands eligibility for the commissioned employees overtime exemption as well. So we get some clarification on that. The Department of Labor has also issued new opinion letters on fluctuating work week hour requirements, along with some other topics. So we've got some information there. Our Treasury Department has issued guidance on the payroll tax deferral that recently came out. So there's some good juicy information there. 
Quest Diagnostics has released a study that finds a 16-year high in positive workplace drug testing results for 2019. Also, the Sixth Circuit Court considers public employees off-the-clock social media posts in a First Amendment case. So that should be pretty interesting to see what that is going to roll out. And again, that's for public employees. Also, the USCIS has issued updated I-9 guidance due to the employment authorization document production delays that are going on. And navigating natural disasters during a pandemic. There's a really cool article on that. And what they're focusing in are some key considerations for your workforce. Also, the U.S. Department of Labor has issued some new guidance on on remote work. Oh, my gosh. Remote work as well. Wasn't going to come out. All right. Over in California, independent contractors are, are issued in California. There's a 2020 update. Also, do employers still need to provide time to vote in California? Click the link and you'll be able to find out. There's some additional information regarding San Mateo County, which has approved supplemental paid sick leave ordinance to assist employees impacted by COVID-19. California is also opposed to enact a law requiring compensation data collection. So if you're in California, stay on top of that. Also, the Ninth Circuit Court gives California employers a break in defending the rest period claims. And then also uh, there is an update for the California compliance deadline for harassment prevention training, it is still set and targeted for the 1st of January. Over in Indiana, uh, Indiana holds at stage 4.5 of re- their reopening plan. Masks are still required, so there's some information there. And then Michigan's new executive order modifies the worker stay-at-home requirements. Over in New Jersey, the New Jersey High Court has updated the state's arbitration case law to reflect modern business practices. Over in New York, they are recommending that you mark your calendars that the New York State sick leave law will go into effect on the 30th of September, 2020. Also over in Puerto Rico, the health department has adopted additional measures to manage the COVID-19 pandemic. And lastly, Washington State has instituted a supplemental paid sick leave requirement for food production workers. And that, my friends, is what we have for headlines here across the nation. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, 
but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. Gang, today we're going to take a little story time and out of the month. So this month we're really focusing in on, you know, that constant being in motion and what that means uh, in a time where everybody feels like they're stuck. I mean, like literally stuck. And today we've got an awesome guest. She is a HR pro. We've been playing in the same sandbox now for a long time. And uh, we, we just recently met each other, but you know what? We both have a story to tell about how we got to where we are. And we thought, you know what? Oh, instead of recording all of this sad news and blah, <laughs> why not just, you know, take some time and just, you know, talk to each other about, and just explore how we got to where we are and how important it was to be in a constant state of action. So folks, welcome Lisa Perez. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I've been excited about this and uh, just uh, ex you know, fun to be featured on your show. Aww, <laughs> you know, well, I'm glad you're here. I'm honored. I'm honored. Oh, well, that's awesome. So would you, would you be so great as to just kind of share with everybody what it is that you do? Because we're both consultants, yes. but we do different things, which is really awesome. Correct, correct. So I'm a full-service human resources consultant uh, firm. I'm based in Miramar, Florida, so we're in the southern region. And uh, we've been up and running for about nine years now, just past the nine-year anniversary. And I have 30, almost 30 years of HR experience. And what my newest initiative is, it's called the Complete Manager Makeover. And we show business owners and individual managers how to comply with human resources, as well as communicate effectively with their employees so that they reduce liability, communicate confidently and within the law <laughs> and improve employee mm -hmm. engagement. So, but we're full service. We love to kind of, you know, be extra bench strength for uh, business owners, particularly. That's awesome. Yeah. Love what I do. Yeah. It, it's fun. I mean, yeah. I, I personally love being in where I am rather than owning the HR issue. Yes. Yes. And for some of our clients, we actually do do that. We do help support if they don't have a human resources person. You know, we are that bench strength for them, oftentimes supporting, you know, an admin or a payroll person in the HR compliance piece. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help wherever needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did, how did you get started? Like, how did you, how did you know you wanted to be in HR? I so did not. I was so not that person. <laughs> I did not leave high school and say, human resources, that's for me. <laughs> I mean, I literally fell into it, Brenda. I, uh, you know, I started out of high school as a legal secretary. I'd always wanted to be an administrator. Mom was a legal secretary. You know, she, she, she typed 101 words a minute and I wanted to beat her one day. You know, wow. I didn't get that close. 92 is all I, is as far as I got. But um, I always knew I wanted to be in administration, just didn't know what that would, what, 
what that would morph into. And so mom was a legal secretary, so I became a legal secretary. And I, I didn't like it as much, you know, it was all about, you know, dictation. I know I'm aging myself with that word, right? That's all right. <laughs> I'm right at the same age, so it's all good. And so, um, you know, it, it was just one-sided. I didn't really get the people interaction in that role that I, that I did in HR. And so I kind of, you know, got frustrated with the legal environment, left that, and, and just con just completely changed direction and was looking at the newspaper um, and, and a front desk clerk at a hotel was open. And I said, oh, it's clerical, you know, I get some people interaction, I, I could do that. And I applied, got the job, and then, um, you know, realized I did not like that at all either. <laughs> Um, because, you know, my personality is, you know, I want to be able to uh, defend myself, <laughs> right? And the right? customer was always right. And uh, that's not my personality. So fortunately, an HR clerk position came open at that same hotel. I transferred in and it was a marriage made in heaven. I found the uh, paperwork side to challenge the mind mm -hmm. and the people side uh, to challenge and, and allow me to engage with people. So ever since that's when I knew I'd found my vocation, I'd found my, my, my love to, to, in work, but I don't feel like it's work. What about you? I mean, how did you get started in HR? So like you, like, like you, I always knew I wanted to be in business. And as a matter of fact, it was really funny. I remember when I was like eight years old, my dad was a hospital administrator. He was a hospital minister for 23 years and he built up a weakened hospital system into like one of the top three in the tri-state area between Pennsylvania, New York, and Cleveland. And uh, one of the top networks, now they're in the big, like one of the biggest networks in that particular area. And so um, I remember when I was eight years old, we were, we were driving around somewhere and I, and we had just learned about, you know, wills and stuff like that. I don't know how I learned about it, but I told him, I said, you know, when you die, can you like will me your job? You know? <laughs> I really wanted to be the president of the hospital and just fill in his shoes. Right. So I kind of like always had that drive. Um, but like you, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I knew I wanted to be you know, associated in business somehow. And, um, you know, to me, it was exhilarating. It was thrilling. And people had, I mean, I even remember at eight years old, I enjoyed watching people have intellectual conversations. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed to a lot of that growing up. So, um, so I got into retail and I found very quickly that retail is an environment where you learn everything about business. It's probably the best case, living case study you could probably have. The hard part about retail is that you don't have a life as a result of that. And I got tired of that. Um, it wasn't until I was with my third Fortune 500 company, which was CarMax. And I, uh, I, I was burnt out as fried. I didn't have really good leadership examples. I didn't have good leader mentors at that time. I was very terse. I was very caustic. And that some people are like, oh my God, are you even capable of that? Yeah, I am. And um, uh, I pull it out as a reserve unit. Right. You, <laughs> you don't want to see that one. <laughs> that skill comes in handy when you need to stand your ground sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but this is where I met my favorite mentor. Um, he was our location general manager. His name was Tom. I wrote about him in my second book, Holy Cow, I Have to Talk to My Boss. And, um, <clears throat> and we just formed a really good working relationship. And 
how he taught me to do, uh, there was an opening for a position called a management assistant. So it, in some senses, is kind of like a generalist position, but mm -hmm. there's no decision-making capabilities, but you're a significant influencer. And, you know, I came from a background where customer focus was exceptionally high. The expectation you had to deliver, um, huge. So he put me into that position and what I transferred from my ability to give good quality customer service to our customers now transferred over into our employees and he loved it. And all of a sudden he had somebody that was doing a job where they were approachable and, you know, I got to know people better and then I really found a lot of joy in helping people solve those problems. Like, I don't know where to go for this. This has been a really great big help. And it was kind of like, you got to be a little bit of the hero, you yes. know? Um, so that, so that was pretty cool. And that's when I, I said, I really want to do this. He goes, you don't need a college education for it. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> and, and our, at the time, the leadership in HR, they, you know, everybody's promoting, oh yeah, there's great opportunity, great opportunity. Everybody was saying you can't climb the ranks in HR in this company at that time. I don't know why, but nobody wanted to take me on. And, um, and that was a little disheartening. But, yeah, I think I read that somewhere on your website or your bio or something. Yeah. So yeah, I had a lot I of people like, say no, and I and I didn't just I did, didn't accept no once. I I went with that for about out of the eight years that I worked there, I pushed for that for seven years, and wow. yeah, long time. That's yeah, a long time. It was. You know your your um, story with your dad. It's so similar. I didn't realize we had that in common as well because it was at the age of eight, much like yourself, that I realized I wanted to be a business owner. My dad yeah. owned a glass shop in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, I'd come to his shop after school every day, and and you know he'd be the babysitter, but we'd be there. And this one day I'll never forget. He he let me sit up on this really high. I mean I could barely see above it, uh, table, and um, and uh, he let me answer the phone that day. <laughs> and that was like a big, big deal. And that's when I knew I wanted to be a business owner. And I think it's so important that people really look back at those formidable years and what is it that was innate in them? What, what drove them? What excited them? And never lose sight of that, you know, because yeah. I think that's when you're living in your truth. That's when you're living a life that you're meant to do. And, um, you know, you also mentioned something about being able to help people and, and, and get their problems themselves to me that's what the resources in human resources is right we can help navigate the most difficult times the most joyous times mm -hmm. just by being a resource and a place where they can come to find their answers so I that we definitely hope have those things in common yeah. <laughs> for sure and you know what I learned at CarMax is what honed all file they filed down all of my sharp edges for the most part like the real bad ones and, you know, like I said, I didn't really have anybody who, you know, treated, I didn't have leaders that treated people with respect. Mm. I had, I, you know, I grew up in environments to where it was, if you don't like it, there's a door, don't let it hit in your butt on the way out. And I thought the rest of the world was like that. And I thought that's how you treat your employees because that's how I was treated. Yeah. And that's how I saw other people being treated. And the one thing I didn't see like with my dad until much later is that my father was really, really good at setting expectations mm -hmm. and holding his team accountable to that. Accountable. And he was, he was intimidating because of that. Cause few people knew how to do it back then. Mm -hmm. But, um, now that I look back, I, you know, 
I look back many years ago as to how valuable that was. And I've always been a proponent on, you know, holding people to expectations because I think that's, I think that's where you pull the human aspect into it. Absolutely. Because you treat people like adults. You treat people like human, set the expectation, give them that guidance, give them that structure. And then when they do a good job, acknowledge them for it. But when they miss, you don't criticize them. You help them figure it out. And do it better. Right. Exactly. I'm I'm of the same opinion, you know, as as I think we talked before, uh, I'm on this mission, right? Transforming the human in human resources, because we've lost sight of that sometimes, you know, we've become this, oh, I need a warm body, or I'm, you know, complacent, or I'm not setting the expectations. And I don't know even how to have those tough conversations that have to be had, but can still be had humanely right? That's an important thing and skill to accomplish. We don't, you know, come out of, you know, college knowing how to talk through the most difficult conversations, like laying someone off, telling them they're not doing the best uh, in their positions and, and how to transition that so that they, like I always say, the individual walks out of that interaction with their dignity still intact and motivated to do better. And, you know, that's what human resources is. That's the human part, you know, yeah. and I think we chatted, you know, you know, before it's like some people don't have that and it can be learned. I do believe that it can be learned. Some are going to be better at it than others, but it can be learned, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, it's at every level of, of the human resources element and the managerial element. I always say you've got to learn how to manage people before you can lead them <laughs> because yeah. to me that managerial piece is the foundation. The leadership is that second level. You know, and, and you know, too, is that not everybody like, and I'm a perfect example of that. I think, I think there was, um, I think I had chairman of the board up above really looking out for me, being able to, at the right time, plant those really good leaders in front of me, but not everybody gets that. Not everybody or not everybody. One of the things that I always struggled with was I never had a very clear definition of what leadership really was. And, and I didn't get that fully. Mm. until I actually minored in it. And then I, you know, I learned it from an academic standpoint, but I remember (laughs) while I was on this, you know, journey, I was on my way back up from the cafeteria to my office. And um, I had this book in my hand that I bought and I, you know, it's just like trying to figure out what leadership book you should read is, is like, you know, trying to figure out what Skittle you should eat first in a bag, right? (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. And so I found this book. I thought maybe this is a good one to start with to help me understand what really is leadership, right? And so um, we had our VP of operations in the elevator with me and, you know, second highest level you could get as far as, you know, divisionally speaking. Right. And he looks over me and I had just read the most atrocious passage. And it was, you know, one of the things that says what makes a good leader is to make sure that you have a good secretary in place and that she does her job. And I was like, what the hell is this? I right. Ask what the book is, but now I'm not going no, to. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you. I threw it away. I actually threw it away. So I have it in my hand and he looks at me and he goes, that's a really great book. And I said, have you read it? And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? So, you know, it got very clear quickly. Right. Um, with some of those influences that I had. Yeah. But yeah. but you know, but that's the thing is that, you know, I started figuring out, okay, so 
you know, talking out of both ends of your body, uh, like he did bad yeah. leadership, right? <laughs> I put that in the no column. And, yes. and, you know, so it was like, so the more I paid attention, the more I started to form this understanding of yeah. both sides. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, much like you, uh, you know, I, I, um, really appreciate your authorship and, and looked at some of your books uh, on your website and what have you. And I'm, I, you know, I bow to you because I, I'm writing my first book. That's <laughs> good for you. Like, you know, you've got a, a couple and it's titled much like the, uh, the organization we just launched, the complete manager makeover, transforming the human and human resources. And one of the chapters is just about that. It's learning from bad managers. You know, we're so focused on just being in the muck of, Oh my gosh, I hate this manager and they're doing this badly and they do do this. And, taking those emotions even as we're going up our own journey our career ladder whether it's lateral or, or you know horizontal or vertical remembering those things that made you feel that way and then doing the opposite we fail to remember that there's there's learning experiences in those tough times not just you know patience and maybe you know getting some communication skills to manage those difficult conversations as we manage up with our managers and such but it's so important that we kind of file those things and say you know what when i'm a manager i am not going to do that so there's a whole you know um chapter about all those missteps you know then and, and that's that's gonna happen nobody's perfect um but certainly learning from those things is a great opportunity just as we're doing the academics we're you know i'm always a proponent of being in the field that you prefer as well so that you're applying that academic to the real world because they do tend to be quite different and um and and using those opportunities that we think are so horrible as the learning experiences that they should be you know, so, that's, so you that's started important. as a legal, yeah, you started as a legal secretary, but did you go and actually get a formal HR education? Yeah, uh, so I have two national certifications. Uh, my 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 degree is in business administration because I okay. didn't know at that time um, in college what form that would take. So as I did my uh, business administration degree, I was already in HR, so I had found it. But I never really wanted to specialize academically. I knew that there were certifications that I could add after school and things of that nature. So I took that route, a, a mix of a more general degree, and then the specialization came through the SHRM, SPHR, uh, the, the HRCI, you know, so many, it's like alphabet soup now with the certifications, but the SPHR with HRCI and the SCP with SHRM. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and so that's where I kind of blossomed the, the HR specifics um, mm -hmm. as I was going up those ranks throughout the 20 years uh, in, in the field, if you will, and um, then kind of launched my business nine years ago. So 29, 30 years. Almost. I was a little the opposite because I was in that position of influence and I was learning all these, you know, like we were executing first. Right. And, and of course, you know, I executed, so we were decent, we were uh, decentralized. So every region had their own HR. So it was really interesting. It was centralized, but decentralized. So, you know, all of the HR momentum came out of the corporate office, but we had various regions. And so each region had an HR director and an HR manager. And then each location had, you know, one of the two representatives. And so we always had like a point of contact that we'd split off. And it's like, you know, certain, these certain stores had this person and these certain stores had that person. And so we always, you know, had access to that guidance. So it wasn't doing anything, you know, independently. Right. Um, 
so it was so it was always yeah this is what we do you know i remember one girl a long time ago said that uh she every time she would get an application when we had paper applications that if it was somebody that she rejected that she would take a red pen and she would drop it and it would make a red mark on the application oh, <laughs> you know and 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 you know i'm listening to that i'm like God, that doesn't sound right but i didn't know why you know right, right, and so right. so after watching our hr director literally shed a whole layer of skin once he heard that he explained to us he said you can't do that you can't make you know indelible marks on on applications because yeah. you know it, it's yeah. bad and it could also establish a pattern of um yeah. you know discrimination correct and in you know inadvertently so yes. when i got to the class you know during my formal education when i was going for my bachelor's degree and started you know investing all all my coursework um, you know, we got, we started talking about patterns of discrimination and the difference between, um, you, you know, adverse impact and adverse action. And mm -hmm. so I was like, Oh, I know this one. And then I realized that, Oh my God, I learned so much. I, I yes. learned the how before yes. I understood the why. And once yes. those two married yeah. along the way, I mean, I literally had like three years of how, why, how, why, how, why, how, why, yeah. that just kind of, they just came together. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, yeah, I really can yeah. do this. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah it was great. And, and yeah. Mine was quite the opposite in that I always asked why, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, so, and I was, uh, you know, fortunately, unlike maybe some of your experiences in corporate, I was with an organization that had about 216 hotels globally. Um, and that's where I started my HR, my, my hospitality career that morphed into my HR career. And the organization was very much um, focused on succession planning and uh, growing from within and things of that nature. And I took every bit of advantage of that. You know, some people didn't, you know, focus on that. Now, while they could have been better mentors along the way, I kind of had to figure that out myself. But if you put it in front of me, I was taking it. If you said money was in the budget for a trading program, I was giving you the registration form, right? right? So really owning your career. Uh, but fortunately, they did have some foundational things. So that's why I'm so passionate about succession planning. But, um, you know, I, I took the, I was of the opinion because I was already starting my scholastic academic career well it was like we do this this way but why point me to the reason why we do this because yep. that's just me i was inquisitive in that way and what have you and that's how i've always chosen to train the hr people around me the the, the bench that i you know wh whether it's a small office of one like you talk about or the office of seven or eight that i had to you know direct i wanted to make sure that they understood this is how you do it this is what you're doing and here is why and then read these 13 pages of the i9 form and tell me what you learned <laughs> right the instructions have you ever right and so for me it was it was tying in that why and what tell me what law tells me that i have to do this <laughs> you know yeah. and, and so and we have you know, to challenge yes yeah. exactly and so you know throughout that career i went from you know the clerk to the manager the manager to the senior director uh, or not senior you know the, the the director without the director title you know senior hr manager right the one that right. you want to give bonus and then director and then i went up to the corporate office as the director of recruitment and succession planning and got the ability to see much like you the bigger picture you know yeah. how each of the regions uh you know yeah relate to each other 
Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people out there, those who are listening, um, there's a lot of folks out there that just want to know how to do something. But if you're going to be good at this job, you have to, you have to find that, that courage and you have to find that modality of thinking to where you are questioning what's going on. Okay. So, and the best way to do that is help me understand that this is my favorite phrase in the whole wide world. I use that on people and they, and I don't even realize it. They're like, Oh my God, don't use your HR voice on me. And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> but well, anyway, cause I don't get it. So bear with me. But, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, help me understand why do we want to do this or, or what, what's promoting that. But at the same time, when you hear something, it's like, it's okay to turn around and say, okay, hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think I have a solution, but there's something that I want to look into, mm-hmm. especially when you don't know all the answers. And it is, it's creepy when you're in a, when you're in a seat of one and, and I know you've experienced this Yes, I have. and that, and then, you know, you're about ready to say, oh my God, the, the weight of this decision is on my shoulders. Right. I own this, right? Yeah. And if you may not have all of the answers and you know it, you know, it in your gut, you can feel it. And you're like, God, I'm pretty sure this is the right direction to go in, but I need that confirmation and I don't have it, but we have to move forward anyway. It's like, you just go to bed praying at night that you didn't screw it up. And then you pray for like the next eight, nine months until you're like, oh, phew, thank God. Right. You know, but it's, but that's normal. That is totally normal for this, for, for being in HR, HR. you got to expect that. And you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because CEOs and leaders, they go through the same thing. Maybe not necessarily on the HR and the law side or stuff like that. They make a business decision and there's no way in hell that they know that it's the right one. Exactly. Not all the time. Exactly. And I think a lot of it, you know, while a lot of it in HR can't be trial and error, (laughs) right? Um, You know, we we do have that little piece that says, okay, at some point I could make a mistake here, but you want to reduce that with the information you have, the loss that you have at your disposal. I mean, just look at what's happening in the workplace now. It is shifting and shifting quickly. And a decision you make today could very well be changed tomorrow, but you've already made the decision based on what you know today. And I think that as long as you're guided by that, you know, I have all the information I have, I've investigated, I've looked at case, I am a case law person having that legal background. I always look sued for this (laughs) and what do I need to do differently Um, to use whatever information you have at your disposal and then make the best decision that you possibly can and be confident in knowing that you've done and gathered the, be- the best information that you had at your disposal at that moment, you know? Yeah. And then if there is a, a hiccup, then you learn from that and just continue to do it better. But I think that's one of the things I love about HR. It changes constantly. There's, I think we mentioned this before um, when we chatted briefly, you know, there's never a, there's never a same day. You're never complacent. You're never stagnant and you're never caught up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. Don't expect to ever be caught up. Um, you know, in, in this field. And, and I like that. I like that about it. And what I also like about the field too, is that even though everything that you said, totally 100% true, what also doesn't happen is that stuff doesn't change overnight either. So our laws don't change. I mean, really other than the family first coronavirus response act, when was the last major HR employment law that was enacted? 
that you can recall off the top of your head? Um, enacted or changed? Enacted, they did... enacted. I, a, a, ACA probably? Or what something? was before Five. that? Hello, I didn't know this was going to be a history lesson. <laughs> ADA maybe, I mean. Family yeah. Medical Leave Act. Yeah, FMLA. Along that was with like two thousand, early two thousands, right? Yeah. So yeah, we do have, you know, we do yeah, have I went amendments. Ninety with that one, ADA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was ADA before that, but I mean, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is like, you know, yeah. we don't have these major rollouts. I mean, and when we do, we we have this process that we go through, and you know, just like what we've been experiencing with COVID. Yeah. Um, and you know, the family's first response act, the new emergency paid sick leave, the, mm -hmm. you know, the new EMFLA, we just all look at each other and go, okay, we have no freaking idea what the hell to do. <laughs> Nor do we, they. Have, <laughs> we have nothing to go on and it's yeah. just, you know, bear with us for a while yeah. because nobody knows the answers because our government loves to put laws out there and then we figure right. out how to do and it. And not figure out how to do it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and then it'll get litigated. It's, it's some point in time we'll get litigation yeah. in and and, and then and we'll get clarity yeah and then we'll have some solid answers and then it'll end right. in, it'll end in december so yay woo so um and the litigation will keep going on but i At mean but that's but that's how it works right yeah. that's how it works it's yeah. it's challenging and it's fun when yeah. you go through that it's also extremely frustrating because anybody who's in hr for the most part these types of things ride our call to action button hard. Yeah. They really yeah. do. When we see that something needs to be done, we, we feel like, oh my God, we got to jump on and do it. When we know we are our nines are screwed up, it's like, oh my God, we're, we're just at risk of all this money and we just yeah. got to get it done. Yeah. It, it, that's what happens when all of a sudden our mindset shifts and we mm -hmm. are now derailed from the direction mm -hmm. of the organization. So right. It's up to us to figure out, okay, how do we get what needs to be done on the docket that aligns with corporate or, you know, whatever the leaders exactly. it's a mission. objectives are. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I and agree with that. And I think that's where that proverbial seat of the table, seat, you know, seat at yes. the table comes from and, and really leading the charge for your organization that says this is important to the overall mission, but being able to articulate why and how and, and affect that bottom line, you know, that the other sides always talk about, you know, there is no other side. We're all on the same mission to make a successful organization and the human resources, the people resources are the most important thing. You know, I used to do a training and I'd say, you know, all you managers are here today. Who's doing the work, right. <laughs> you know? you're not as, you know, uh, dispose, uh, indisposable as you think, because the work is still getting done. So let's talk about those people. And so whatever law comes out, whatever, you know, mandate, regulation, it's, it's about really being able to articulate why this is important, how it relates to the overall mission, you know, of, of what the organization achieves, because it's through their human resources, their people resources, that those things are achieved, period, you know, so. And, and that's the high level thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But there's still the daily, I hate to say it, but grunt work that needs to be yeah. done. Yeah, you for know? sure. And sure. people who are in that seat of one or seat of few, right? Um, you know, that's a hard balance to strike. That's a very hard balance to strike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and especially if they don't hold that seat. Oftentimes that office of one doesn't have that C-suite level responsibility 
right? right? They're, they're more the, the that day-to-day, -day, let's keep things afloat, let's keep employees happy and what have you. Um, and it's no less important than that C-suite. In fact, it's more important because again, to me, you're dealing with the human resources. You're yeah. dealing with the people of, of the business. And, um, you know, finding a way to influence that C-suite in, in what it is you're doing, how it, you know, uh, adds to the bottom line is, yep. is important even for that person, that, that office of one. Um, and I love, you know, those times that I was that office of one, I'd, I'd find people to delegate to. And, and if I didn't find them, then I'd create groups of people like committees. <laughs> hey, I've got a committee. Let's start this committee. And, um, you know, being successful at, at gathering then strength mm -hmm. of high performers, people who wanted to be involved, people who didn't just want to do what they were hired to do uh, and, and, you know, bring their expertise and knowledge and, and experience to the table. That's where I expanded my office of one, you know, yeah. team member relations committees, uh, TMC, we call it, you know, <laughs> and uh, safety committees and, and all that kind of thing, you know, find those few that just want to do a little bit more and, and expand that, that bench strength through, through, through them, you know? Yeah. I was in a situation to where the company uh, that I was employed with wanted to expand uh, their uh, employee headcount significantly. Mm. And I had put together a plan <clears throat> I said, okay, so if we're going to do that. And then it was like, the plan just wasn't really acknowledged. And it's like, we have systems that don't talk to each other, which we've got a ton of manual work. And that doesn't, that's not going to, that's not going to bode very well. And by the way, none of the information that's in the systems is hundred percent accurate. Mm -hmm. Right, you took the words right out of your mouth. You knew exactly where I was going with that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that is the voice of experience right there. And, uh, <laughs> but, and, but you know what? That leader pushed her agenda forward. And it's just like, I, I, can't, I can't match your agenda because it's broken. You've never had anybody in this position that knows what to do and what to go on. And I eventually just like, this isn't working. And, um, Absolutely. And, and just, you know, you had to move forward, uh, because it's like, I can't help you if you don't want to be helped. I'm, you're, it's like, you brought me in because of my knowledge, but yet you're not letting me utilize it. At that point I had to make that decision. What do I do? And, yes. and, 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 and so I made the right decision. I know I made the right decision for me and mm -hmm. they, you know, eventually wound up bringing somebody in that can meet their need now, not their need future. They're not, they're not ready to do that. Okay, right. that's fine. You know, right. it's right. Just, so, it just means it wasn't the right experience for me. And right. it led to something else better. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's you know those things are important. Is, is knowing when you know that I think that the word of the year is pivot. <laughs> you know, knowing when to pivot and and knowing when you know you you you're beating a dead horse. You know, because I'm I'm that person. I'm I, I will ask you and I will frame it you know five different ways. <laughs> to, yeah. to, to make you see, because maybe I'm not explaining it in a way that you need to hear it. Uh, and that's why I love, you know, DISC, you know, that it's, it's who am I talking to? What do they need to hear? So I can sell this a little bit more effectively. Sometimes yeah. it works, sometimes it doesn't, but using whatever skills and tools and tricks and tips, you know, that you can to, to make them see how important this is and, and what needs to happen and, and why, right? Cause yeah. they, they'll, well, why do we need to do this? Like, like I always ask why. So those things are important, especially when you're that, office of one 
HR person. Yeah, and I love what you talk about with DISC because I agree. I mean, to me, communication is just absolutely huge. And, um, you know, I had a really great working relationship with um, a CEO and we would meet all the time, all the time. And, you know, I felt strongly that we were very much on the same page. And I'm very flexible because the way I look at it is like, here's your margin, right? And right in the middle is your line of naughty and nice. <laughs> it's, it's your line of delineation as to when you're legal and illegal, right? right. Or unlawful, pardon me, right. unlawful. Right. And it's like, so, you know, we'd run into a situation and, and I'd hold my hands up. I said, how close do you want to be to the middle? You know, and because I think that's a solid way of, you know, working decision. Not everything has to be uber conservative, conservative. And, you know, leaders, especially men are going to take risk. So, you know, as an HR professional and in in a field to where we're majority of us are women and women don't take risks very often like that, that is a disconnect right there. Right. So, you know, being able to find that, but you know, when it came time to working with other people and say, okay, so let's have a conversation about this. They're like, I remember I had one person tell me she was a a finance uh, head honcho. And she said, you have got to stop talking to us. Like we're corporate, we're a small business and we don't work that way. And I said, so you're telling me you don't believe in communicating when you're Mm. the one person who will complain the first when somebody doesn't communicate with you. That is a load of crap. And yeah. that's exactly what I said to her. I said, if you don't want to communicate, then expect hell coming your way. Not, I'm not reining it in. I'm just telling you, you're making your job harder because I'm stepping up to the line to help you figure this thing out. You don't want to jump in. Right. That now no longer is my problem. So good luck with it. Right, 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 right. And when it snowballs, don't look at me. I'll be here. But let me tell you, if it snowballs, snowballs, grab your shovel because yeah, I'm not, exactly. I'm not digging you out. It. You're, you're you're going to work on it. You it. Right, exactly. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah. And, and it's not to be, you know, rude or snarky or nasty or this is now going to be listed as exploited or shitty, but it's yeah. just, it's just, sorry, HR neutral moment. Um, but it's just like, you know, I can't always sit here and convince you why you should do something. We just have to now do because we're to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know that in, in times of, of those, you know, situations where, you know, you're telling someone why it's so important, um, how it would be more effective, especially with communication, you know, um, expectations, setting that expectation, you know, but it takes so long and this and that. Well, how much longer does it take you to fix a mistake because you didn't set up the expectation first, right? The, the proverbial train the trainer, right? It's up to you. You want either an effectively working machine because you communicate thoroughly and throughout the, the, the before, the during, and the after, or you do all the after, but you're spending just as much time to clean it up, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so getting that buy-in, it, it, it's a wonder that people don't see the importance of that and, and how much more effective they, their operations, their departments, their offices of one, you know, w- would be even in that office of one, you know, setting up your own expectations um, and leaving some room for, you know, some wiggle room is, yeah. is, is critical. You know, sometimes we fail to even communicate to ourselves. What's the expectation of, of this role, responsibility, this project, this new regulation, and, and, and how do I manage that throughout its process, you know? And I love how you say that. You're absolutely right. We, leaders who are not tuned in 
to this don't communicate with themselves and they set themselves up for some massive failure thinking that they're doing the right thing or that they're just skirting the issue for a while because they're just not ready to deal with it. And I respect that. I respect that leaders aren't prepared to do battle against a Grendel. I, yeah. I totally respect that. And they have to choose their battle because they're battling so many. Yes. But the same person <clears throat> a little while ago, um, they had an employee who was less than stellar. They knew it. I knew it. And I wasn't that person. I wasn't that HR professional that said, you need to fire this person right? because they're doing this. I was, what do you want to do? Because this is your teammate. This is your responsibility. This is your department. You own this problem. I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you figure out how do we do it, right? So uh, after 14 months, 14 months of very bad performance, um, const you know, constantly being told by one of the managers that, oh yeah, I've been documenting everything. Because I told him, I said, make sure you document everything. <laughs> he knows that they know, but does the file know it? <laughs> you document everything. You take notes on, on the conversation that you've had, blah, 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 blah. We get to the point 14 months later to where we made some discoveries about the individual. And I said, okay, I need all of the notes that you've been taking. And we're going to sit down and we're going to figure out what we're going to do because this person has been, you know, disciplined long enough. Um, a decision needs to be made. Otherwise, you're going to continue feeling the same burn. I got a page and a half of notes that weren't even notes. And that woman came after me and she's like, you need to tell the manager, it was her direct report, that blah, 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 they, should, you know, they need to recreate all this and that they should be taking better notes. I said, first off, that is your problem, that is your teammate, and you guys have been pushing against this action for 14 months when I told you we should probably consider it now. The other piece is, is that you have backed that person up saying that person is taking notes and making documentation. We're all squared away. Clearly, yeah. you didn't know that. So that means that the, cha the game has now changed. It doesn't mean that we can't terminate that individual, but what you're wanting me to do, not my responsibility. That is your teammate and you need to own that. Yeah, and, and I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the, I'm just full of all these, you know, nuggets and quotes and stuff, but if you do not inspect what you expect, yes. Right? We've heard that. Your expectations won't be met. I'm not saying micromanage. There's no room for that either. No. Someone truly needs to be because of a learning process or something that's so detailed or what have you. But I think, you know, that that accountability, it goes back to the beginning of what we we're talking about, you know, the, ensuring that you're holding people accountable to the things that you're giving them to do, that you're tasking them with, equipping them to do so, right? The skills, here's the form, here's a sample, here's the training, whatever it is, um, only creates better success. And so, you know, but ultimately you've got to inspect that, hey, you know, show me, <laughs> you know, and if somebody was uh, responsible for doing that, they drop their own ball, you know, and, and that's what weakens an organization, you know, that failure to hold people accountable to the tasks, the assignments, the, um, you know, whatever it is that you give them. So, so speaking of accountability, so here we go. Here's a, here's an ugly side of our, here's a eating crow side of our conversation today. <laughs> okay. What in your history? So when you look back at your career, 
because we've all made mistakes and there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I told you, you're eating crow. Go get your salt and pepper shake. I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) I got an arsenal, but one comes to mind. (laughs) What if you could go back and not change anything, but what would you say was a mistake that you made? Yeah. And what was like your greatest lesson from it? Oh yeah, this is a great one. Um, And I, you know, I don't shy away from talking about it because it is the realization that while I thought I was being friendly and approachable and this great HR person, the reality was that's not how I was being seen. Yes. Okay. Um, And this is where DISC comes into my life. This is where... I was able to see myself as others see me and not as I see myself. And that was a huge lesson. And the lesson was, you know, I had, I had this, uh, you know, organization. I was the HR director. Can I speak to where that wasn't everything? Yeah. You said Carmack. So I was the HR director at the Fountain Blue under the Hilton flag in the early um, part of the 20th century. It sounds really weird. Right? <laughs> 21st century. 21st. We're not 21st, that old. Yeah, 21st. 21st century. 20th century. They just discovered like Buck Rogers and Butnick. Hey, I know who that person is. And so, and so, um, so it was, you know, 2000, 2001, 2003, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just viewed myself, you know, I knew that the employees came to the department for help and research. And we, we did all the tech stuff right right we, we, right. we solved the problems initiated implemented this is you know an organization i did another committee and we won awards and all this bunch of stuff um so those people like me but yeah the broader picture was that i was not seen as as approachable as i thought i was um and and it was devastating it was devastating and it's the employee opinion survey for god's sake oh my god <laughs> You know, so you, you know, you expect this high, this high rank, this high number. Um, and yes, I did have some, you know, there were some people who, who I, I was genuine and this and that, and they saw that. And I'm talking about like the comments and stuff like that. But there was a big part of that did not see me as this approachable um, person that I thought I was coming across as. And, and I'm a high D personality, right? What are we doing? How are we doing it? When are we getting it done? Get out of my way right. if you're not part of my mission, you know? And that was the person. Uh, a lot of people, not most, but a lot of people were seeing that pull that that number down. And so it was a really good look in the mirror lesson for me to yeah. say, okay, I need to change this. And then uh, through another business association, I became aware of DISC. And it was that that really opened my eyes to all of those things and how I could change myself because you can't change others uh, no. to to. to be more uh, what they needed to see, right? Pull on those personality traits that they needed to see, that I needed to exude in those moments. Yes, there's a time for being that high, you know, bull in a china shop, you know, personality. Well, never that, but I've been called a warm and fuzzy brick after that, you know? <laughs> warm and <laughs> you fuzzy know? brick? What, what, yeah, what, yeah, warm and fuzzy brick. Um, and so, so, Learning that lesson was probably the best lesson in my life because it really spawned my interest in connecting with people, um, making sure I'm speaking their language and yeah. not just the, it's, it's what you say and how you say it, but it's who you're saying it to yeah. 
yeah. is that additional level that's so important. So that, that was probably my biggest aha moment, mistake mm -hmm. moment. And, and in future years, the, the scores did go up. So I, I was aware, I looked in the mirror, it was tough and hard, but transforming myself first was, was the beginning of, of that improvement. So that would be mine. So what's yours? Yeah, see, I know if I ask you a question, it's going to come back. I have to answer the same question. <laughs> you got me so I was ready for it. I was ready for it. But, no, but, but I love that. And, you know, I mean, that's a level of self-accountability right there. Yeah. Probably one of the things that for me was a huge mistake is, you know, I had some similar feedback like that. Um, but really the big thing that I had to do for myself was I found myself in this position twice. And it was kind of like the second time that it happened It is when I had my aha moment on this. And when I did it, that's when I decided to separate from the organization for a couple of reasons. Um, and then something else happened and then I decided to separate a hell of a lot faster after that. Yeah. But what it was is that you know, I'm, I love to collaborate. I'm a, I'm a big collaborator for somebody like you. I'm a high D, but I'm also a high I and they're almost equal in disc. They are, they like, depending on my situation, it's either my high I will come out, which is an influencer or my high D, which is that driver or right. that director will come out. Right. Right. So, um, but then I use them together simultaneously. So I drive influence and, and that's, that's a, that's just an eight. But when I was in a position before, I actually, when I took it, I, it's because of the job that I took, the language that I was using at the time, how I communicate was a high S. Mm -hmm. So I was more systems focused because that was the role that I was in. So in that role, I was learning a lot of really good stuff. I was going to school and I was working with people that I counted on to teach me how to do stuff, but they were very passive aggressive and they these i had these three women they kept changing the rules and it was just slight enough to where i was so overwhelmed with everything that i was trying to learn that the changes that they were making went so unnoticed that i thought it was me mm. and i and i am one to hold myself accountable i don't have a problem looking in the mirror and saying brenda you're screwing this up right mm. i i really don't and that was probably my biggest personal hurdle I overcame many years ago is don't be shy on holding yourself right. accountable on something. Right. Look in the mirror. <laughs> Rather you hold yourself accountable than somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so I, I had held myself too accountable to the point where I was absorbing all of the blame because I didn't see what was going on yeah. and it was manipulative and it was praying and I'm, I'm a little bit of a gullible person. I was very gullible as a kid growing up. I was that, that person who grew up and it was like, you know, don't do as I don't do as you see, do as I say. Right. You know? And, and so that's, you know, I was a major rule follower and I'm not, not a rule follower, but I'm not afraid to challenge the rule and help. It's like, help me understand why we're doing this. Right. So, then the second time it happened, I was in a position of authority and the rules kind of slightly changed a little bit. And I recognized it for what it was when I saw it because I remember the, how I felt. Right. And mm -hmm. I just felt like that small, very, very mm -hmm. tiny, felt like I couldn't do the job. And it's like, bull, you know, yeah. you can do this job. You are doing the job. 
you just have an element working against you. What is it? And then when it clicked as to what it was, that's when I realized that the very same people who brought me into the organization are the very same people who are the most toxic. Yay. And again, passive aggressive, nice to my face, stabbing behind the back, um, slightly changing the rules and then putting the blame on me Yay. and my willingness to accept responsibility for my actions played against me. Right, right. Right. Absolutely. That's a big one. Yeah. Those aha moments, but they all start with that ability to look in the mirror, right? What, what part of this am I playing? Cause like I always say, you know, you can't change anyone else. You can only change yourself. So yep. I would imagine that helped you with a lot more peripheral vision <laughs> they're going after, you yes, know, it did. Uh, they're after. So. Yeah. And then the other thing is that honestly, it launched an unexpected journey for me and are you a Steve? Do you listen to Steve Harvey at all? Yes. Uh, on Love Steve Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to figure out who's going to be on the show for the hundredth episode. If there was any way that yeah. I could make Steve Harvey be on the show, it'd be awesome. awesome. That isn't going to happen. I don't know if that'll happen. And I don't want to. You got to put that out there to the universe. I know. I know. I don't want to shut myself off. But anyways. Yeah. 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 I'd yeah. love it. You never know who's, who's somebody who might know I know, I know. I'm after Mike Rowe too, by the way. But anyway, that, we're derailing here. But Steve Harvey's <laughs> wonderful. If you ever if you ever get a chance to listen to any of Steve Harvey's inspirational stuff, highly recommend to do it because he's spot on. Mm. And one of the things that Steve, when I was when I left those situations where I wasn't feeling my best, and I would say in the last couple of years, even before I started this podcast, I thought I was listening to him, and he always talks about living in your gift. And, you know, if you're not focused in on your gift and, mm. and doing what you're good at innately, you are going to be miserable. And that's where I started. I went, all right, so what the hell are my gifts? Like, right. And there's multiple ones. Everybody's got more than one. But Absolutely. what is the one thing? And I got really clear on what that was. And once I did that, I knew what direction I needed to go in. And I've never regretted it. Not one single minute have I looked back and say, dang, I wish I... I wish I, right? I, it was more like, wow, I wish I had the money. But, you know, <laughs> money was ridiculously stupid good. But um, you know what? The gift, the gift is actually what's going to, you know, bring me to where it is that I need to go next. And yeah. you have to live in your gift. Mm -hmm. And you have to live in your gift in this field. Because yes. if you don't, yeah. you're it's, just going to be miserable. You'll be fighting your own vocation. Yeah, I, I, I'm so thankful that I fell, I always say I fell into HR, and I'm a woman of faith, I know where it really came from, but I fell into HR, and I just loved it ever since, you know, I really yeah. have enjoyed it, so. Yeah, it's first time I heard somebody talk about HR, I went, <laughs> no, because it was all benefits, that's all he did was work in benefits, I'm like, oh my god, that would just yeah. suck. Personnel. <laughs> Yeah, pull my hair out now. And and it wasn't until I got into that seat at CarMax that really, you know, launched it for me. But. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. I, I, I definitely found something that I love to do. So, so if you could me. give anybody who's listening a piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I think I said it before, you know, find what it is that is truly deeply innate to who you are um, at your core and what you love at your core. And oftentimes you can look back at those formidable years and find that. 
um, do what you love to do and then find a way to get paid for it. You've heard that before. I truly believe that. Um, and if it's something, you know, if you don't like HR, get out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Go find what you love to do. Um, pivot. Go into a new vacation, but do what you innately love to do because then you're living one in your truth and who you're supposed to be, what you're meant to do here. And, and you're, you'll love life day to day. You know, find what you love to do. Just, yeah. you know, figure it I out. Would, I would tack on that if there's an element of HR that you find interesting, find the path that gets you to a trajectory where you can continue to enjoy doing that. Correct. Yes. And I think that's another great thing about HR is it's, it's, it's so broad, you know, if it you is. love numbers, then maybe benefits administration and wage an hour and compensation and benefits is your thing no. within the bigger picture. Um, you know, I tried specialization, you know, in that journey of my HR career. Um, but I'm a generalist at heart. I like my hands in all the pots. I want to do benefits and admin and workers comp and employee relations and the fun stuff, you know, the picnic party poster stuff we used to do way back then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want that, you know, I want yeah. to be able to do it all. So I am a generalist at heart, but it, you know, there could be something that, you know, is a, is a smaller lane within the bigger picture that you would equally as a, equally as much enjoy. So yeah. good, good point. Good point. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoy, I did enjoy the generalist part for a long time, but like I said, I'm now to a point where I don't want to own the HR function. I don't want to own the HR problem, mm -hmm. right. but I really do help like, like helping people figure out how they can be better at owning the function right. and, and owning the problem. That's why I love working with the next gen women in HR Facebook group. That's why I love having the HR coaching sessions that I have yeah. and, you know, and building these programs and working with leaders to help them, you know, really get past what feels like a hurdle. Right. And most of the times they're very simple answers. It's like, well, I understand you're frustrated, but why don't you just simply ask the person what's going on? <laughs> you right. know, just exactly. a simple question. And you get to be the hero again for something like that. Right. And right. I, and I like that part. It's not, you know, the hero piece doesn't feed my ego. What it right. is, is, is that I like being that hero because I watch somebody change into being something that they didn't think they were capable of doing before. Right. That's powerful. Right. Yes. And, and they get excited about that stuff. And then when you see people getting excited about life again, holy cow. Yeah. You know, how lucky are you to be part of that journey? Yeah, for sure. And I for love sure. that. That you can I make love that. It's, it's a positive impact. Yeah, for sure. I think some of the best um, times of my career was being able to mentor um, others within my organization on, and externally as well. I have many that um, are still, you know, wonderful colleagues and have become friends and even people that, you know, I had to lay off after 9-11 and, 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 yeah. and they still reach out and say, you know what, I, I stay connected with you because when, when you, you know, found yourself in a difficult position to communicate this, you did so well, you know, and you gave yeah. us tools to, to do something thereafter. And, and those, those are moments that we, we have an impact in people's lives yeah. on a regular basis. And I would much rather be someone thought of as having a positive impact than a negative one, even yeah. when something negative, like a layoff or a furlough or whatever, those yeah. things have to occur. Cause that is it that's nobody else's fault, but how you do that is, is important and, and makes a big impact on people's lives. Yeah. And I think once you focus on the word human and you put human back into this, into what we do, yes. um, you know what, that's, 
that is amazing. Yes. When you figure out how to treat somebody like a human doing a really crappy time, like layoffs and disappointing mm -hmm. news and stuff like that. I mean, that's a, yeah. boy, that's something else. That's yeah. not something that a lot of people experience on a regular basis. And oh, when they're yeah. the recipient of that, that really is something special. And that's my mission, you know, yeah. to really, really make sure that no matter what the conversation, employees, you know, employees, people, individuals, whoever's having this conversation with a manager of any kind of person, whether it's a business owner, or an HR person, a line level manager, an entry level, an executive, those conversations are had so that they walk out of that interaction with their dignity intact. That's yeah. the human in human resources, you know. Love it. Well, this is yeah. great. So if people wanted to find you, how they how can they find you? Um, so I think the best way um, right now is to go to the completemanagermakeover.com. That's the mission, right, of, of where we're trying to transform the human and change these statistics of bad managers. And then um, I'm here in Miramar, Florida. My email is lisa at hblresources.com. That's the parent company to the Complete Manager Makeover. And uh, those are two great ways to kind of reach out and find us. That's awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much for spending time. This has been great. Likewise. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. <laughs> Enjoy our conversation and learning more about you as well. Aww. Now, if you've been listening to the show for some time or if you participated in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook, you've heard me say at some point that you need to take care of yourself first in order for you to be able to take care of everything else. And in this month, I have kicked off a new feature as part of the show, and it's going to be a growing segment on what you can do to kind of help you take on new things that are going to help you take care of yourself. And it could be anything from, you know, using a particular product that I found that helps out <clears throat> to performing yoga, to just figuring out how to make time to get out, to, you know, focusing on recovery, which is what we're going to be talking a little bit about today, and bring in some subject matter experts. And the reason being is that with everything that's going on, all these crazy stressors, and, and this year is just jacked, <laughs> you know, you have to focus in on you in order to focus in on everything else. And I'll be honest with you, I had not done a good job of that for a very long time. And once I started focusing in on my well-being for just a little bit out of the day, not a lot, but a little bit out of the day, I have found that my overall well-being is better. I've been able to manage my stress, manage my own personal concerns about what's been going on, and actually find that freedom for me in order to be more effective at everything that I'm doing. And, and ultimately, what it's, what it's doing is that I'm optimizing everything. And the big thing that I've been focusing on lately has been optimizing my sleep. That's been one of the very first steps because when I'm tired, I eat bad. When I'm tired, I don't make great decisions about moving, money, uh, sometimes even business, right? And like I get foggy brained and I forget stuff. So that's part of the reason why I'm just bringing in this element of taking care of yourself in this wellness and this health segment simply because it is so critical that you just do, and you don't have to do like mega big things. You don't have to completely rearrange your life. Just take small steps forward. And um, 
part of the sleep thing is directly connected to recovery. And I know I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I want to keep on talking about this because the every day that goes on where I'm capable of recovering, I'm learning more about how I feel and about how I'm able to deal with the following day. I'm able to manage my workload a little bit better. Um, I'm okay making, you know, deci- you know, decisions to push something back that may not necessarily make sense and address the priorities. And to be honest with you, if you look at, you know, I actually manage my tasks, I don't manage my time, um, you'll see that I actually have a couple of different boxes on a grid. And then I see I have a box called necessary business tasks and then below that I have fun, fun tasks. So... <laughs> Because I want to do the fun stuff first. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like doing all the the required stuff first. It's just that's not me. I like doing the fun stuff or whatever it is that I deem fun. And sometimes doing the required stuff is fun for me. But to be honest with you, I'd much rather have fun doing what I do and getting paid well for it. But I have to also do the necessary stuff to get paid even more (laughs) or better. So, you know. There's a, there's a payoff, there's a benefit and a cost to it, right? But anyway, I've been talking, I've been learning a lot about recovery and what that means. And if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook on either one of my public pages, you'll see that I actually posted something uh, this week on recovery. And what I did is I, I have a whoop now. And if you don't know what a whoop is, a whoop is actually a wearable. It is one of the most technologically advanced wearables that are out there. It actually tells you what is going on with your body. It doesn't, it doesn't manage your steps. It, it really analyzes the best that I've seen so far. I've been a Garmin fan for a long time, but it really does a phenomenal job of understanding what your sleep cycles are, and there's four of them. Um, it tells you what you need to do in order to recover, right? It tells you what your percentage is at. And, and it's just, it's just amazing. And what I started doing was I started combining CBD gummies with my recovery. And as I started taking a CBD gummy before I go to bed at night, or when I get into my, I'm about ready to wind down for the day. What I've seen is I've seen an increase in my percentage to recovery. Now, to be honest with you, I have not really brought up the level of physical exertion that I probably should. Right now, I'm just focusing in on my recovery. So these CBD gummies that I've been taking are actually from Naked Warrior. Um, it's, Naked Warrior Recovery is the name of the whole, is the whole company. It's awesome. We're going to have Will Branham, who actually started this. He's a U.S. Navy SEAL. He's coming, in, he's coming up as a guest real soon. And not only are we going to talk about you know, some leadership topics, but we're also going to talk about the importance of recovery and the importance of being able to utilize certain things that are going to help you optimize your recovery. Now, I am a huge believer in hemp. I am not a believer in marijuana per se. (laughs) So even though they are related, uh, and his products, I mean, here's the thing. I told him, I said, dude, I can't have any THC in any of my CBD gummies. He goes, oh, that's convenient because we don't have any at all. And I'm like, I'm sold. <laughs> because, you know, there's nothing worse than having the HR lady pop negative, <laughs> pop, pop positive on a, on a drug screen, right? That's not good. And not to mention, you know, I've got some other business opportunities. I, I don't want THC in my system for my own benefit. I just don't want it. Um, and so therefore I'm very particular about 
making sure that if I take a quality CBD product, which you have to take a quality product, that um, you want to make sure, especially in our profession, that there's no THC. So his products um, over at Naked Warrior Recovery are, in fact, uh, they're verified. And what's really great is it's broad-spectrum CBD, which means that the product is not just sprayed on with CBD. It's actually incorporated into the product itself. And uh, not to mention, being a veteran-based business, uh, the original frogmen were once called Naked Warriors, and so therefore it goes back to the heritage. So like I said, Will's going to be joining us in an upcoming podcast. You guys are welcome to take advantage of trying Naked Warrior Recovery's products uh, and get a 20% discount by going to, uh, to www.nw-recovery.com. And then you can put in a code called Naked HR, and you can go ahead and start making your change. But I can tell you right now, the it's just amazing how my recovery is doing and how my sleep is is much is doing incredibly well and my performance throughout the day. Just complete. It's been a it's been a nice progressive game changer for me. So I strongly encourage you to take that moment, take that step back, and look at one thing that you can do for yourself. And I'm going to tell you what I've been doing since I made this commitment to myself in April. The very first thing that I did is I got rid of sugar and I got rid of refined carbohydrates. The second thing that I did is I got rid of soda. And I have to tell you, I am a mega fan of A&W Diet Root Beer. It is, it is the one that is the thing that I love the most. I mean, literally my mouth is like watering just thinking about it. And I got rid of that. I started walking. And now that I've got, you know, the puppy with Nakoa, I've been walking him more and I spend more time with him, keeping him active, which ultimately keeps me active. Um, and he wakes me up at five in the morning. We now go outside first thing in the morning. I have my cup of coffee and that's my, that's my downtime to be able to look at what's going on for the day, look what's going on for the week, to strategize, to plan. Sometimes I even just do something for myself like read. But nonetheless, it's my time. I don't have any interruptions. He's out playing and eating bark and doing whatever it is that he's doing, right? So it's a really great opportunity for you to take that step back to figure out what small changes can you make. I'm also going to tell you about the change that I made to my eating. Now, I don't, I don't get any benefit for doing, uh, for doing this, but I actually changed. And um, I have now replaced one to two of my meals a day with a greens product, and I'm gonna tell you guys about that coming up in the future, and we're gonna wind up getting uh, Mitch on who's gonna talk about it as well. So, so there you go. Think about what you can do to go ahead and make changes for yourself for the better and invest in your well-being in your future. So you guys know that I love, I love your HR questions, and you feel free to go ahead and submit your question on the bestpractices.org website. By clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page, you'll find a submission form for you to go ahead and post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. You can also hit me up on any of the social channels that I'm on. So today's question is, I have an employee who usually reports sick about two days per month, but he's a good worker. Should I fire him? So this is one of those things where you, it's not just an easy yes or no answer, because as we know in HR, um, there's many shades of gray. <laughs> there's a lot of layers to what we do, and success never comes in a straight line. When you have somebody that's calling out 
in frequency like this. You gotta look at this as a couple of things. So first and foremost, if they're earning accrued time off, they can take that time off as they, you know, as as they need to. That's the reason why the benefit is there. So this is this is gonna feel a little bit like a double-edged sword. However, if you see patterns, it's perfectly okay to sit down with this individual and sit there and say, "Hey, listen, I noticed that two to three times a month you are calling in sick, and you know, I, you know, you have your accrued time to use. That's totally up to you." but I need to make sure that you're okay. Um, and, you know, is there anything that I can do to help? And then you just sit back and let silence be your friend, okay? If he's a good employee, he is probably going to share with you what's going on. But you also want to be, here's where the double-edged sword com really comes in, is that whatever he tells you, understand that you could be lining yourself up to get access to information that protects him either under American with Disabilities Act or some form of discrimination or like Title VII under disabilities, right? So that's why I always say, is there anything that we can do to help you? You know, and help him understand that frequent call-ins tend to make not getting what needs to be done, done. That's not how you want to lead it. You want to lead it with, is there something I can do to help you out? And if he says no, he says, I have a condition that sometimes it needs for me to go ahead and take time off, you may have to, you may really have to probably do that as an accommodation. If it's somebody else in his family, in his household, that he needs to take time off to care for, like a child. I mean, my sister, for instance, has always gotten, you know, she always got ear infection, she always got strep throat. She was literally out of school at least once a month, and, she, and her, the frequency of her getting sick was very, very high. And just some people just don't have strong immune systems, all right? So should you fire him? No, I would, I would definitely have the conversation with him. Learn about how you can support him. If he's a good employee, why would you want to get rid of that? I mean, there's always, a, there's always a workaround. There's always a solution to everything. But just remember that what you do for one, you do for all. So if you have somebody who's not a really great employee and is taking two days off a month, you know, you remember that if you're, if you're accommodating one person and somebody else has a similar situation and, and they're not your fan favorite, what you do for one, you do for all. So don't get yourself in a situation where you could actually inadvertently, um, you know, put yourself in a position where you could be, you know, have a finger pointed at you for, um, you know, discrimination or, you know, favoritism or anything like that. Those are just headaches. All right. So our coaching program, we've got our next session coming up and it is, it, it is an awesome time to come to get a sit at the table, our community of dedicated HR pros over in the next, uh, women, next gen women in HR community. We're getting together. We're helping each other out. We're finding ways to connect. We're finding ways to help each other source those, those answers and those questions. And we're having real conversations with real people. So I, in, I invite you to come and join our monthly coaching program. We have really great information that comes out of it. Great conversations. Same thing with the Next Gen Women in HR community. Um, it's awesome. We're growing. We're well over 180 members strong now. We're knocking on 200 and we're not even, not even a whole year old just yet. So I invite you to come in and uh, jump in and join the conversation. 
Now, if you'd like to connect with me out in the in the virtual world, you are welcome to do so. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook in two places, at Best Practices in HR, and that's where I give some general updates. You can also find me again on Instagram and Facebook at Brenda the HR Lady, where I share more about what I'm up to, a little bit more on a personal level, and I usually post something every day there. And if you'd like to connect with me professionally, you can find me on LinkedIn just by typing in my name, Brenda Neckbottle, N-E-C-K, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. Over on YouTube, I've been building a library of videos, and you can find me again using my name when I also co-host another show called The Real HR Show with the evil HR lady, Suzanne Lucas herself. And lastly, you can jump on the website at bestpractices.org where you can read up on the news updates that I called out earlier in today's episode, which is something that I decided to add for this year. You can just simply visit bestpractices.org, click on the podcast link, and then you can get this week's articles. Also, while you're there, click connect and at the top of the page, get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. So folks, I'd like to thank you again for joining me for another week. This has been awesome. We've got, man, I can't believe we're already starting to wind down the year. Holy cow. (laughs) It just blows my mind. And we've got all sorts of other really, really great topics coming down. We've got, um, like I said, Will Branham's coming up soon. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to do it all and take care of you as an HR pro. Um, we're gonna, we've got Jody Harris coming on from Cisco. She's, we're going to be talking about executing your life and career strategy with grit as an HR pro. Um, we've also got uh, Mary Rodriguez coming up next month in October uh, building a great internship program in 2021. She's uh, with Microsoft. So we've got some pretty cool topics coming down the pike and can't wait till you guys hear what is going on. So, all right, guys, listen, have a wonderful rest of the week and uh, we will catch you next week. Have a good one.